This is Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast trying to interpret for the masses both reality in quotes and to a lesser degree, reality without quotes. Today's topic is art married to reality TV, and we're pleased to be joined by the artist Robin Slonina, who among other things served as a judge on the TV show Skin Wars. I'm Mark Linsenmeyer, sporting a new hairstyle for every episode we record of this podcast. I'm Erica Spires, and I'm a total Natalie. And I'm Brian Hurt. And thanks to Zoom, now I only have to paint my body from the waist up and just in front for my uh, work meetings. <laughs> Welcome, Robin. And I am Robin Slonina, and I'm happy to be joining you from Las Vegas today. Welcome, Robin. And you're a COVID survivor, right? You're finally able to talk again. Yes. My whole family actually had COVID early on. My husband is a performer with Cirque du Soleil, and so part of his job is wandering around a audience from everywhere in the world that descends on Las Vegas and deeply interacting with them, eating their popcorn. You know, he messes with the crowd. And so I think we actually had it quite early on and it was not fun. We were really sick for three weeks and then was probably a full six weeks until we really recovered. My son was like rocking a 104.7 fever through Ooh. some of it. So yeah, not fun, but I am here to say very survivable. So have hope and don't fear. It was just like the worst flu you can imagine. Well, I'm so glad you're all well again. Thank you. Thank goodness. And of course, COVID is not the only thing that's going on in the news as we do this. Seem a little weird to be talking about something as escapist as reality TV and fine art in a time where there's the horrible things going on and the protests. I'm sure that many of you listening, like all of us, we're doing deep dives into history that we probably should have known more about. And, you know, the first thing you think about when you wake up is looking at the news, seeing what nonsense happened last night as far as overreaching militaristic response to a very valid protest and civil unrest. Yeah, it's hard to think about anything else. It's hard to talk about anything else. We also kind of had pause because what are a bunch of white people going to add to this conversation? And I think that's a balance that we all have to walk. I've really liked a lot of the things that are going on on social media right now with just stepping back and white people push pause and amplify black voices. And it's obviously time that we give more voice to people who haven't been seen as much in the artist community and people of color. And it seems like you guys took diversity into account in finding artists for Skin Wars. Certainly, but we also just went where the talent was. I don't even think it was something we consciously did. The importance that a lot of people don't see is that Yes, there's a lot of talent, but not always amplified in the way that it's easier for a lot of white talent to be amplified. And that's so important because we see completely different types of art styles. And I think artists are at a wonderful advantage to like show the expression that comes from their community. It was also amazing, of course, to have RuPaul as our main figurehead. You know, that was just such a treat and a pleasure and an amazing experience to have so much FaceTime with someone of his caliber. He really is just such an icon and very inaccessible as well. And so just the fact that I got to be there spending hours with him and learning so much about him was just like such a privilege. So are we going to dish? Is he as great as he seems? He's so professional. He's so funny. He's so positive. The only time I really saw him lose it was season one, where the there was kind off. of a the paint off <laughs> with Gear and Natalie. 
He was truly livid and was so interesting because, you know, talking to him and being like, what is going on? Like, you are really taking this hard and taking this seriously. It was actually really beautiful because his perspective was ambition is self-love. And if you don't give yourself every opportunity towards success and push and fight to make your way, then you're letting yourself down. And I think that comes directly from his experience. You know, he grew up fighting. You can find old YouTube videos of him, a very young man in New York walking around, and you can hear just the casual harassment. And he just sort of floats above it all, you know, like so many Black Americans have to and especially a Black American in drag, he just dealt with so much and just kept working. And I think for him, that ambition saved him. And so when he saw Gear giving up that ambition, he felt like you're not loving yourself enough. And then Gear, you know, has grown up, of course, with his own struggles. But, you know, he had a different view where he felt like friendship should overcome competition and that he was very uncomfortable competing, going at someone's throat that he loved and respected and was actually developing a strong friendship with. I think that those two points of view are both so valid and just to see them go head to head and then have everybody at home kind of react to it themselves and like, well, what would you do? Should you compete against your friendship? Like, what is important? You know, and I I think that was just a fascinating and a very real thing that happened during season one. And it was really evident that it was a real thing he was feeling. And from someone just watching at home, you could see that, that he was genuinely upset. It was also just a perplexing sort of thing to happen. And then for anyone who hasn't seen it, just so you know, Robin, I'm about halfway through season two. To take a principled stand that you don't want to compete with someone when you're on a competition show and you've already competed with that person that day, in fact, and for the previous several competitions, to have that change of heart, it was sort of unusual to see that, to imagine someone in a sporting event suddenly deciding, I like this person too much to try to strike them out. We don't always think about arts being a competitive form. And of course, the arts are by nature competitive because for someone to be highlighted, someone else's work has to not be highlighted. And and there is competition inherent in arts. But to have it be a sport the way that your show, really, it's arts, but it's also a sporting event, is really what makes this reality, and particularly reality competition shows, a totally unique kind of thing. And it's not only sports, and it's not only art, I should say. But it definitely has elements that are fundamental to it being successful. But you know, like good sports, they show sportsmanship. And I think you can have both because you can have the kind of reality show competition that just gets nasty. And I couldn't help it in the beginning. I just disliked Dutch so much because I was like, you're a teacher. How do you expect anybody else to want to sign up for your classes if you're going to treat them like you're always going to be better than them? And he did grow by the end, which I was happy to see. To your point earlier, Brian, you know, you say someone's art has to be neglected for someone else's to be accepted. I think that artists don't think that way, at least not the artists that I know. I have noticed that there are other cities where I've kind of dipped my toe into the art scene in New York, for instance, and in Los Angeles, where there is a lot more of a competitive feel in those art scenes. But I've never lived in any of those scenes. I've lived in the art scene in Chicago. I've lived in the art scene in Amsterdam. I've lived in the art scene in Las Vegas. 
and most recently in Berlin. And I have found that all of those cities, so I'm assuming that it's the majority, they really don't have that mentality that people support each other. A lot of times in Chicago, you know, it's the same 250 artists going to everybody else's shows where the frustration is, can we break out of our bubble and get this work out to a bigger audience to the public, which is partly why I started doing more interactive, performative street art, because I was frustrated that it was the same 250 faces at every show I did. But I have to say, those were my cheerleaders, my supporters, and it was fellow artists. And I think we tend to be happy for each other's successes. And I think, you know, when you have that abundance mentality, it just brings more things to you. And, you know, we also are so fond of collaborating and networking. And if one of us gets a show, you know, we all jump in and help. And I think that's partly what makes some of these talent-based competition shows so fresh and so fun to watch is that I don't really want to watch a show like the Kardashian, I don't, I haven't ever watched, I don't watch The Housewives, although I've heard that it's fun drama, but I'm not interested in that drama. Like, I feel like they're on, you know, for no real reason except the drama. So of course that drama is highlighted where on shows like Skin Wars, on Project Runway, on Face Off, you know, those are some of my favorites because it's talent based. And so you don't even get on the show unless you have something to share with, you know, your own creativity and innovation. So that's what I want to watch. And you find like they don't have to push the drama on those shows either. And then a lot of times they help each other. Like, you know, Gear got really uncomfortable when the reality of the reality show, you know, really hit him. Like, what am I doing? And he's also personality-wise, he does not like authority. He doesn't like being told what to do. So it's very on brand for him to resist that anyway. But, you know, I love it how on Face Off, like (laughs) they always cut to commercial, like right before like, My mold won't open. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that show, but it's very hard to crack open a heavy mold when you've sculpted your FX sculpt and then you pour something into it, whether it's, you know, resin or latex or silicone, and then you got to crack open that mold. And if there's any undercut, it's very difficult to open. So having a difficult mold to open is very familiar to that world. And every time they cut some question, my, you know, it's always used like, my mold won't open. And invariably, you see all the other artists who are being timed, who are down to the wire, stop what they're doing, run outside and help. And I think that's why I like those shows. So if you haven't seen Face Off, I really recommend it. That's a great one. I'll walk that back a little. And that's a good point, Robin. I, I think there's a saying that I heard from a publisher. This is in, in my area, but he said that your biggest competition isn't other writers. It's obscurity. This idea that there are limited seats at the table, but the way to get around that is to make the table bigger. So to get more exposure and find other opportunities. Well, that's a beautiful metaphor for a lot of things. There's this competition, obviously, that's going on on these programs, on Skin Wars. There's sort of a meta game that's going on, which is getting exposure as an artist and establishing yourself. And whether you win or lose... Skin Wars or American Idol or whatever doesn't directly correlate. Whether you got voted off first or voted off last or won the competition, the fact that you made it on that program, now you've been in front of a national audience. A lot of people have seen your things. You've made these connections. So just getting on the show, you've already won in a sense. And if we think about the people, I know more from American Idol, some of the people who weren't the winners went on to have these huge careers. I don't believe 
Jennifer Hudson actually won American Idol. No, and she went on to, I think she won an Oscar. I mean, she had a more successful career than the winner that year. Right, and who's the kid who performs with Queen? I'm forgetting his name. Adam Lambert. He also didn't win, right? I feel like it makes the competition a little less nerve-wracking for me to watch, knowing that you've made it on TV, you've gotten through a door that you might not have gotten through otherwise. I could be wrong, but I think that on a lot of these programs, maybe all of them, even the losers or the non-winners still get some money. And maybe, Robin, you can, it's not usually said. Is that not the case for your program? No, I mean, I think you get a lot more social media following, you get more opportunities. One thing that I really love about RuPaul's Drag Race, which is another, you know, heavily talent-based show, is that they're great at going on tour with all the queens after each season. And so most of them are given huge opportunities to tour with World of Wonder or Voss Events or the different production companies that tour after the seasons are over. And so, yeah, it is, I mean, absolutely, like, one of the funniest instances was Vanjie, who was eliminated the very first episode of RuPaul's Drag Race two seasons ago. And she backed up and just said her name in a very strange way where she said, Vanjie, Vanjie. You probably have heard this referenced in pop culture and then just disappeared backstage. And it was so funny and strange that, and I, she see, I think she was a little shell-shocked that she left because she had this glazed look on her face. And it just combined to be like a very poignant, humorous moment that kept getting referenced the rest of the season. Like Michelle Visage just kept looking at Rue and going, Vanjie, every time she wanted to make him laugh and crack him up. It became this iconic thing. There was endless memes about it. And she became a superstar and she was eliminated first. And now she's one of the most sought after drag queens. She came back on, I think the next season, I think they had her back as a fresh contestant. She did a much better job. And, you know, that was a great example of like, even if you lose the first episode, like it propels you into just what you said, Brian, a national spotlight that opens up many doors and opportunities. So one of the articles that I will link folks to called The Good, The Bad, and the OMFG, Arts Complicated Relationship with Reality Television, talks about this show that I didn't, I had not heard of. Sarah Jessica Parker produced it called Next Great Artist. One of the things I was concerned with in coming into this conversation is what sort of arts does this work for? In other words, every artist at least wants there to be more attention in the wider world to artists. And so putting them into primetime TV or into, you know, something that is a popular streaming show, that seems like a great way to do it. But can it work for fine art? Or, you know, what is fine art even? Project Runway was kind of the first really big one to do this and was explicitly like, you're designing this for a client. Like, that's kind of how they justified that we're going to judge you. We wouldn't judge your fine art, your, you know, absolutely original creation. But if we can sell it like this is an applied art, this is for a client, then that at least gives a, a pretense for giving the judgment. And, you know, these are things that are going to be sold to the general public. So Next Great Artist was supposed to be actually presenting, you know, people that might have things that would show at the Art Institute at the Museum of Modern Art, just, you know, your standard painters, sculptors, which, Robin, that is your background, right? You did a lot of sculpting and things. Yeah, I mean, my true love really is interactive sculpture. I sort of fell into body painting when I moved to Las Vegas just as a way to make a living. Although I, I was one of the first like highly trained fine artists who embraced the medium. And so I was 
in a very short time able to create a company just to sort of make ends meet in my new environment, my new city. And within five years, we were the biggest body painting company in the country. So yeah, I was there. I was a little bit of a pioneer. And I say that with the modern resurgence of body paint because, you know, there was beautiful body paint going on in the 60s and 70s. And even the Japanese artist Yayoi Kusami, she would body paint herself. And so, you know, it's an ongoing tradition back to prehistoric times. But as far as like contemporary body paint, yeah, I was at. And that show, yeah, it's called Work of Art, The Next Great Artist, I think. I, I liked that show. I, I watched it. I was bummed that it ended after only a couple seasons because I thought that was a fascinating idea. And it's almost like, I think, the original pushback from something like The Singing Show that that was like sort of broke the mold. Before American Idol? American Idol. Okay, because that was the first one. Now there's so many. I get them Star mixed Search, up. but <laughs> yeah. Oh, Star Search. <laughs> oh my gosh, with Ed McMahon. That's right. Well, you know, in Star Search, I think that kind of set the stage because it was almost like a joke. Like, really, are those people going to become stars? You know, and I think people sort of had that same feeling about American Idol. Like, you can't put these people on TV and have them compete on a stage. Like, that's not real. That's not the music industry. They're not going to really become an idol. They really paved the way for talent-based reality because Kelly Clarkson, you know, achieved success. She was the very first winner. And at first, people didn't take it seriously. And then it just became a machine. And now shows like this crank out celebrities. So that's the difference I was trying to get at with this work of art, The Next Great Artist, is, according to this article, is that one of the reasons it didn't keep going is because it's in an industry that runs almost exclusively on what can be reductively summarized as street cred, work of art has zero art word credibility, said you know somebody for the Brooklyn Museum. It seems for some of these arts, you know, for body painting, if you get judges like you and Craig Tracy, that if you've got these people that are sort of universally respected in that fairly small space, then yes, if you even get on that show, we've proven you're a talented person, whereas the initial resistance to American Idol is, no, 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 these people aren't the tastemakers. We can't, you know, I guess it was only because the general populace got to vote, and those are the general populace who buys records, right? So... <laughs> Like, of course you can make somebody an idol by having a really, really popular show, have people vote on that show. Like, there's a direct connection there. Whereas even if you're, you know, pulling, I guess some people, this article mentioned that involved in work of art, the next great artists were sort of embarrassed that they had been associated with the show. I'm going to call bullshit on that because that sounds like a lot of art speak elitism that you hear so much in the art world, which honestly is partly why I moved away from the gallery scene in Chicago as a young artist because it did seem so elitist and such a white male boys club. And I really am a populist by nature and I wanted to bring my art to the public. Work of art, they did have tastemakers. They had Bill Powers, who was a New York gallery owner, Jerry Saltz, art critic for the New York Magazine, and Gene Greenberg, the owner of Salon 94 Gallery in New York. So it's not like they were nothing. I mean, they only had one celebrity, which was Sarah Jessica Parker, and she was more like a hostess. So I think that that's just the art world doing what it does, which is trying to keep the status quo and be very elitist. And you have to go to these schools and you have to show at these galleries. And I just think that's all nonsense. So I'm all for art becoming more populist. Robin, on that show, did artists have to paint under a strict timeline the way they do on yours? Yeah, definitely. That was the same, you know, tried and true format. 
different challenges. It wasn't all painting. There was sculpture. There was installation. There was different things, challenges that they were given. And then your final was like a one-person show where you filled a gallery with your work. And very different. I mean, the end result was so diverse that it was, I can't imagine how you could even compare the apples and oranges that they presented. But I liked that show. I was sorry to see it go, actually. I think Sarah Jessica Parker did a great job with that. And also just bringing art to the general public. I think that there's something to be said about that. A lot of people don't want to step into this rarefied environment of a white box gallery with white box pedestals. You know, I think a lot of people don't relate to that or don't feel like they have a place inside that environment. And I think it's important the same way with the way Skin Wars really brought the art of body painting to a much bigger audience and showed them what it was. It's not about sex, you know, it's not about lasciviousness, it's about art. And it's about turning the human body in all its shapes, sizes, colors into artwork. And I think that was one of the gifts that Skin Wars gave, which was to show people that this truly is a real art form. You've really managed to make the human body uninteresting from a sexual perspective on your program. So thanks a lot for that. I really... Yeah, it is uncomfortable at first. You're always like, oh, there's another boob. But then it's just like, oh, okay, no big deal. Yeah, but it's a boob that's an eye on a skull. Like, uh, I don't know if that is attractive anymore. The reason I asked about whether they had a time limit is on a number of these programs, you're asking an artist to do something that really isn't what they do. Now, I know, Robin, for you, when you have clients and there's a show or a costume party they need to get to or a trade show, whatever it is, you have a timeline. But I have a feeling, watching Runway, for example, that a lot of times these people are making stuff way faster than they normally would and not using techniques that they would normally lean on because that's not the timeline they operate under. And I would imagine for work of art, that would likely be the case as well. So we are getting in a number of cases, a distorted view of what creating this art actually is, or we're getting just a a limited view of it to say, well, this is art that can be done in six hours. Not this is what this artist can do. And they tend to award people who are really fast and can make quick decisions and are really good at acting quickly on their decisions. That's true. A great example of that is Christian Serrano, who was just the runaway winner of Project Runway on his season, And partly it was due to his incredible speed. I mean, almost like surreal speed, inhuman. You know, he was a tiny little adorable machine who just worked so hard, so fast and was able to make quick decisions. But, you know, I would also say that that directly translates to an idea of success in the real world because there's, of course, the idealized vision of an artist isolated and alone in their studio and working on their own timeline and, you know, losing themselves in their art and just being able to create without the normal structure of a job or, you know, reality around them. And I think that mythology of an artist in their studio is what leads so many people to take art for granted and think that artists shouldn't be paid what they're worth. Because I can't tell you as an artist how many times I've heard, oh, I've got this wall out back. Why don't you just come paint it for fun. I'll pay for the materials. I mean, just every artist knows how often that happens. And I think it's because there's this dream of that art is fun, you know, and not a job. And I would say that that time crunch is actually very typical of the life of a professional artist because 
if you have a job, you definitely have a schedule, you have a budget, you know, you have to stick to the structure around you and and make the best art that you can within that structure. So I think in a way, these crazy reality shows do kind of set the stage for an artist to be professionally successful because we experience similar things on jobs. You're totally right. This past winter, my brother was singing here in New York City and the whole family is here and we're having this big dinner. And my mom likes to brag on us all the time because we we all sing, the whole family sings. And she was talking to the lady who was serving us and and she goes, oh, they sing? And mom's like, yeah, somebody's got to sing. And my brother looks at us and he goes, nobody is going to sing. We are going to sit here and eat our meal like a regular, <laughs> you know, like a regular family. And then this lady was like, oh, I want to hear somebody sing. And I just go, I'll do it for another one of those Korean pancakes. <laughs> and she's like, yeah. And I was like, yeah. And she goes, please. I'll, absolutely. So I sang her a little song and she actually brought us out a dish, a different dish. But like she, she heard some glass noodles for everybody to try. Part of me felt guilty for like, I was like, it was so simple for me to sing a song for her. But it was a nice bartering of like, yeah, I'll sing for you. And then you'll give me your art back in return. And it was actually awesome. Wait, and were you in a restaurant or someone's home or? We were in a restaurant. There weren't a lot of people there. It was a Korean restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) Who who are you and who is this family? You guys are like the Jackson 5 or the Partridge family or something. My brother calls us the Hillbilly Von Trapp. (laughs) Nice. As long as there's some sort of appreciation, I think, you know, whether it's bartering of services or goods or hopefully money, like if if, I think what some people don't understand is if there aren't people at the top who are making a lot of money doing this, then the rest of everybody else who's at the bottom isn't making anything. So it does elevate the entire sphere of that type of art. So for you to bring so much attention to body art, people are all of a sudden probably paying more overall for body art, I would assume. Yeah, for sure. And even moving to Vegas, you know, I had to fight to up the market price of body paint because this is an artwork that a lot of people do solo, you know, like Craig Tracy, for example, you know, all he does is paint one body at a time, mostly just by himself. And then he makes beautiful photographs and he sells those as fine art. So that's the business model that a lot of body painters have. And I was one of the first people that made a company and gathered a group of artists. I found fine artists in Vegas and trained them. And then as the popularity of body painting and as the show hit, you know, it became much better known art form and people started to learn it on their own and come to us. And, you know, we have at any given time, like 35 artists, 20 hair and makeup stylists, and then we have performers and models and things like that. But, you know, it's a big company. And so because of that, we had a bigger overhead. You know, it's not just one person in their studio at home. And so we fought to raise the price of a typical body paint to about 500 a body, as high as 750 per body. That's what it takes to pay the artists and pay the bills. It took me 20 years to pay back my student loans after going to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago and I don't know a lot of dentists that friends come over and be like, hey, I got this chipped tooth. Like, just go nuts, you know, just have fun with it. We get sick of it. We want to be paid and artists deserve to be paid. And that well has to be filled back up, right? Like you're going to exhaust yourself and your creativity if you're not having moments off where you can be with your family and refill that creativity. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, studio time, that's work hours. And so unless you want it to just be a hobby and then you're not going to ever reach 
your full potential as an artist. Like you need to put in the hours just like any other job. And so, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, if anyone here is listening and you were tempted to ask your cousin, who's a good painter, to come over and go nuts on a wall in your backyard, like just think twice and honor and respect them by offering some cold, hard cash. Yeah, I would say that happened about eight, 10 years ago online when it came to being a freelance writer online. And so often it was, well, you're getting paid in exposure. And I think there is some truth there. And what you're exposing (laughs) is the fact that you will work for free. Yes, exactly. Not universally. And there are times when it might make sense, but I think you have to be really strategic about it because it is definitely a rabbit hole of dissatisfaction and really being resentful and burnout. I will say, I I listened to a sports podcast and the guy who does it owns a bar and he put out a call for people to come paint a hallway with a mural. And he was absolutely destroyed by his listeners, which was, and he read all the letters. It was just a joy to have someone get chastened to realize just what it is he's asking people to do for nothing. Right. That's also a good point, Brian, about being strategic about what you will do for quote unquote exposure. Another word that artists are so sick of hearing. You can be strategic about exposure early in your career. If you want to be a mural painter and you don't have a portfolio full of images to show to future paying clients, then yes, work at a reduced rate. I don't think you should really ever work for free. I challenge all artists because even the symbolic nature of getting $100 for something that probably should cost $1,000 or $50, like people need to pay something, even if it's like an honorarium amount, unless it's for charity, unless it's for a cause you support, which I do constantly. I mean, we do charity jobs at least once a month. Actually, I just turned the studio over a couple days ago for a huge Black Lives Matter body paint that's happening that's going to be filmed. And, you know, it was awesome. Models and artists and a filmmaker coming together to create some art. And I haven't seen it yet. I'm really excited. So stay tuned on Skin City's uh, Facebook page, and we're going to be releasing that soon. But yeah, charity, absolutely. Go ahead. But no, no one should be working for free unless it's for charity. Since we're talking about basically the idea of respect, it seems to be coming up and respect for yourself and respect for your fellow artists and for art in general. Can you talk a a little bit about what that means in terms of your art project, Everybody Equal, and how that incorporates all types of bodies? That's something that kind of was born naturally out of having so many people approach me who's like, oh, I'd love to get painted, except I need to lose 20 pounds or well, if I was taller, I'd get painted. You know, just these absurd criteria that they felt like they had to physically meet as a body paint model. And another person who's a real activist in that arena is Andy Golub. And Andy Golub is an artist in New York who actually challenged the nudity laws in New York. Yeah, I feel like that was sort of born out of people feeling like they weren't, quote unquote, good enough to get painted, which I just thought was absurd. And so I had been planning this for a while to do a body paint that's celebrating all bodies. And then right in the midst of this, it became national news that on a federal level, gay marriage was suddenly legally allowed. So that was like such a rush of emotion and triumphant moment in our history. And so we sort of took the everybody equal and then used the equal sign 
from the LGBTQ movement as well. And we had bodies of every shape and size that congregated outside in the parking lot of Skin City in Las Vegas. And we had an amazing time painting each other. And we had a drone camera film from above as we all came together as one mass of all types of bodies. And we had the equal sign painted on them. So if you look up every body equal and probably throw my name, Robin Slonina or Skin City in there, you'll find the YouTube video. And that was a really awesome, fun project and and really emotional. You know, I also want to bring up this other amazing Black Lives Matter public art piece that's been in the news lately. It was painted in Washington, D.C. I feel like it was an amazing, beautiful response to use art and to use the paintbrush, you know, which can be mightier than the sword, to come out and do an enormous yellow block letters right on the street, Black Lives Matter. And it's so massive that you can't really even properly see it or read it unless you have an aerial view. This is a powerful example that art has a place in revolution. I think that any child, any adult of any color that sees this art, especially in person, is never going to forget it and is never going to forget it as a response to seeing their city attacked. I just can't help but think that that is going to inspire pride, inspire thought, challenge people, you know, do everything that good art should. So I knew you'd be a good one to get talking with us about What's the opposite of fine art? Applied art? Public art? (laughs) Public art. I mean, just (laughs) cultural uses of art that you did art therapy for a while, right? Yes. Yeah. I was sort of brought into the artistic fold through like being in orchestras and having that fine art model. And so even when I started writing rock songs, it was like, I don't care if they're the most popular things because I loathe popularity. I'm not a, you have to create your own uh, values when you're not actually that popular and say, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, that what I'm afraid is, is superior to what can be appreciated here, but you know, and so you that understand. Yes, exactly. So it, it really is, you know, <laughs> is is something that gives rise to an art for art's sake. And it was always whenever I talked to you about creative matters, it was a good counter to that of you know art being a very practical healing thing for everybody involved. And so why would it even be a question that like having a reality TV show, this sort of historically lowest form coming from Big Brother and the kind of things, but like, yes, can we marry that with art and use it at the very least as a commercial? Like, I'm not sure this is maybe a question I wanted to ask you before we're out here. Like, I feel like after watching a season of Skin Wars, I understand a lot of basics about body painting when I knew nothing about it before. It was just a completely foreign thing to me. But at the same time, and we had the same critique, we had an episode a little while ago on Lego, and there's a Lego reality building show that, and they don't show a lot of, like, I feel like I would learn a lot more just from watching one of those artists, like for the entire time and like having them talk through the process. So that's my own curiosity about, whereas it seems like with the show, it can get a little of that and you can, you know, okay, some people paint with brushes and some people paint with airbrushes. And here are the different types of body painting, camouflages are completely free painted, or you could have multiple body, just understanding that these are options. How satisfied are you with, say, the way that body painting was was explored through Skin Wars as a way of educating the public? Not just that this thing exists and is cool, but like about the details, the artistic details that you would ultimately like to be out there. I think that it definitely, you know, had its place. First of all, you learn so much of art from just watching. You know, I went to 
the Art Institute in Chicago, and of course my teachers were incredible, but the people that were in my classes with me, my fellow classmates, were such geniuses, even as students, that yes, I learned from my teacher, but you know, our our classes were all either three hours or six hours. That's how long the class was because you had to make a painting or a drawing or, you know, whatever it was that you were studying in that class, performance art. And so they were long classes and you got to really sit and watch your fellow artists, their entire process beginning to end, and then critique and talk and ask questions at the end. And I definitely learned as much about art just from watching my fellow students. And I feel like people just watching art being created, you can't help but learn about the process. The judging criteria, too, I think also helped explain art appreciation in a way because, you know, it was a three-tiered judging criteria where it was technique, creativity, and then on theme, like adherence to the theme. And so if you think about it, technique, yes, that is of course important in art making. Like you need to know your stuff. You need to be trained. You need to be practiced. You need to benefit from the wealth of knowledge from all the artists that came before us and figured out perspective and line versus tone and all of those rules of art that you can apply and decide to break, you know, once you understand them. But it's important to have a basic knowledge of of that. And then, so technique, yes, it's important, but it has to be married to creativity, which is a whole third of our judging criteria, because then what are you going to do with that technique? Like, you have to put your own voice into it. You have to put your own concepts. You have to think about what it is that you want to create. And then that leads us to theme. Did you adhere to the theme? And that's about message. You know, art needs to have a message to be powerful and to communicate. And so while you're making art, whether it's in a public setting, like can't get any more public than a reality show, or in the privacy, you know, of your own studio at home, you need to think about what you're communicating and why. And so I think that's another part of why that judging criteria was was important because art to me is about communication and what message do you want to use your technique and your creativity to deliver to whoever sees it. Couldn't agree more. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Robin. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much. This is yeah. great. Thank you so much. This is really exciting and opened up my mind to all new types of art. So thank you for that. Yay. Well, I hope everybody will continue to support artists and pay us what we're worth and Black Lives Matter. And maybe spend some time next on the Glass Blowing Show. There are all these shows I just realized existed in researching this. That was Oh, I missed that one. I got to check that out. You know, I was going to complain that some of these shows couldn't possibly work on TV. Like the cooking shows, you can't taste the food. So what are we doing here? And I realized we just spent an hour talking about a visual arts show. So (laughs) (laughs) there it is. There you go. So Robin has just departed. Since we're still on here, let's say a few things to kind of wrap the conversation up, get us back on topic. So I think, Brian, you started to sketch out some of the differences that reality shows have from actually doing arts in the wild. And it seemed like Robin was not willing to grant an inch on that, that even though it seems like they are drawing or creating at artificially high speeds. Oh, no, no, no. If you're a commercial artist, you do that. I get her point when she says that, and she's not wrong. It's just, I think there is a limit beyond which we are doing something that is artificial for a game show. I mean, and certainly if we look at the twists that happen in these shows, right? And someone 
they've won, so they get to take time away from somebody else, or they have to do it with their eyes closed or with their hands tied behind their back, or have to switch art with somebody, or all those things that are, these are game show twists. And that's fine. I mean, it creates drama, though I would say that some of the best drama is the organic kind. Contestants who really don't like each other, or think that the other is doing something kind of skeezy. The artificial stuff, I think, is needed for when the organic stuff isn't even there. Certainly the paint off was one of those moments where I was watching it with Drew. And before it even happened, Drew goes, oh my God, are they going to do a paint off? And then they did the paint off and we're like, oh my goodness. And she did talk about how Rue brought that in. The whole idea of the show is to compete and to show that you care enough to compete. So like, that's all well and good, except that I couldn't help but seeing it with reality TV eyes of, I wish they hadn't done this. Just pick a winner. The other point that I was trying to raise was how much this shows us how the art is done. And Robin took that question as a way of saying, yes, you learn about how art is done by watching people do the art. And I still don't know if that really answered as to whether in these reality shows you see people doing the art in the relevant level of detail to actually learn anything. How do you guys feel? No, I'm not a good baker because I love British Bake Off, right? I think if you already have a working knowledge of the art, then yes, you can learn some techniques and you have enough of a basis to learn new things. I think you get a new appreciation for what goes into it if you are a total noob. Like the idea of body painting, you might just think, oh, I just lay paint on someone. Yeah, but there are a lot of steps involved and a lot of ways to go wrong. And we see a lot of those ways on the program, which is part of the charm of reality shows, right? Or the disasters or the British Bake Off. There are a lot of things I didn't realize went into baking. And it's always been a mystery to me. I have this theory that anything should just stay in the oven 10 minutes longer which doesn't work in baking. <laughs> when you're cooking <laughs> you meat, it's usually meat okay. a lot. Yeah, I can ruin anything by leaving it in 10 minutes longer. But they do a <laughs> lot of neat things on that program. And apparently you proving and putting little hot beans and something to make a pie tan. Like, I didn't know all this goes into it. Does it make the food taste better when I eat it? No, but when someone is a home baker and they present something that's awesome, I do have an appreciation for artistry or whatever an artisan does, it is nice to know about that in a way that I know I will never pursue that and I will never achieve that. But it's good to see people succeeding. And it's kind of fun to see people failing also. So yeah, appreciation, I think, is a good way of putting it. I see these shows as more commercials for the art. Like you might want to do this. Here's some of the possibilities. I just knew nothing about totally. body painting. And so seeing all these possibilities like that was good. And if I watch the glass blowing show, I'm sure I will. I know nothing at nothing at all about glass blowing. <laughs> so her comment about getting the molds open and face off. Yeah, that's some interesting stuff. I guess another aspect is that I always feel like it's a great way to introduce someone new to an artist or a type of art by getting to know where the artist is coming from, what their intentions are, things like that. Does this in introducing you to them as characters and they talk a little about, you know, their sketches and stuff, does that help you understand the art? God, that's a hard one for me to say. I don't think so. I think we all know at this point, reality TV, we know that the characters are going to have certain perspectives that we can kind of predict it, right? So I don't know that that helps us with an intro to the, their art. I think also the artistic process, to me at least, has revealed itself to be more or less the same across media. And I feel like what a singer-songwriter is doing and what a painter is doing and what a writer is doing is pretty much the same 
type of thing. And it's interesting for any individual to know what their specific things are that they focus on, what their background is, and how it informs it. But I don't know if it's hugely relevatory to hear one person say that this is how they they do a thing. I'm curious for both of you who are, you're both singers. And so you've watched singing shows. And so this is an art that you do. What I do is not a subject of a TV show. So I can't speak to this. Write the fastest sci-fi story. Yeah, why don't you make it? (laughs) I've seen someone write in real time. And it's pretty cool. Not at all helpful. It's just interesting. But for you guys, just like, and, and I feel like Idol, especially when someone was learning how to interpret a song, not a song they were writing, but a song that was written and a song that they had to perform and they had to make artistic choices. Did it resonate with you? Were they doing what you're doing or were they doing something different? I always feel extremely estranged from those shows that I would lose big time that the way that I approach singing and songwriting has nothing to do with the way they do it. So I would say no. Like I teach how to interpret a song, right? But it really depends on the individual and it takes a lot more time than the two minutes that they allot for those kinds of things on those shows. So they might drop one little gem and then they let you believe that that completely changed somebody's performance. When in reality, you know, that person worked a very long time to change the way they were interpreting it. So I don't think you can really get it in that abbreviated amount of time. I feel like the commentary, you know, so maybe they'll have like a celebrity coach on one of those singing shows and they'll give a little bit like, oh yeah, I think she really is, you know, pick this song that's, it's such unhelpful description. It's kind of like, as we're going to talk about in two weeks, sports commentary that I think we played the game well. I think we we really just need to get together as a team. Like <laughs> you could get technical, but if you ask the players right after the game how they did, like they rarely do, at least in the clips that I am familiar with. And it's about that unhelpful. And let's not cannibalize that show, but 10 hours worth of documentary about sports reveals something a little different that goes on in that process that you don't get from a 15 second TV interview. What a nice teaser, Mark. I can't wait to have that discussion. What discussion are you talking about? I just revealed a 10-hour sports documentary, but we'll say no more. It could be anything. (laughs) I actually think it helps a lot that these artists in the reality show stick around for a whole season, so you're learning more about them and their approach as things go. Like, I like the fact, I think, Brian, you might be kind of a skeptic about revealing the source of an art as revealing the art anyway. I do like it, and I especially like it in films, the film called Bird about Charlie Parker or Amadeus about Mozart. These are examples I often give that really like introduced me in a big way to a whole new way of approaching music by talking about the biography, by showing them in the throes of their creation and getting you to know them as people. So I think reality TV gives us something similar to that. However, it sort of falsifies it because I don't know. What do you think the music that accompanies, like think about part of the formula of the reality show is that you have these quick cuts and you have snappy music to kind of keep you going forward. Does that actually go with the spirit of the art in question, right? If you are going to present your painting or your body art or whatever and put it in a gallery and you could choose music to go around it, would you choose what they actually use for that show? That and a hundred other stylistic choices in the editing and do those choices by the creators of the show, perhaps in most cases, work against the mood that, you know, what the artist would actually like to convey, the way that they would like the audience to take in what they're doing. I think it's just disregards the art and the intention. 
to meet the needs of the director, right? That's why reality shows have directors. That's why documentaries have directors. You're still trying to tell a message, and it's not the contestant's message, it's the creator's message. Message, I don't mean to imply something deeper than be engrossed and excited and watch next week. I mean, that could be the message and that's fine. But I think that you're serving a lot of needs and a lot of masters when you're making one of these programs. And what the artist is trying to do is probably not a big concern, would be my guess. I told you guys that I I auditioned for American Idol. And my brother also auditioned for American Idol, my brother Michael. And that to me was like so eye-opening. It's not that I didn't know that things were done to just produce a fun TV show. But when I got to see like the inner workings of a lot of it, it just kind of made me sick. You know, just how many choices that we don't see as the viewer that are going into making it pure entertainment rather than about artistry at all. So I think actually that this show, from what I can see, appears to be doing a pretty good job of still putting the art at the forefront. Yes, we have the personalities, but they're picking people who, once again, I am not a skin artist, so who knows, but they appear to be pretty good. And a lot of them are already legitimate in the eyes of their own art. So I think that they do now a better job of that than they used to back, you know, when American Idol first started. I think we've become a bit more careful about putting the art forward and taking away a little bit of that just drama for the sake of drama. I am outraged that you waited until the end of our discussion to mention that you auditioned for American Idol. That seemed like a very important part of this discussion. I thought I'd already brought it up at some point. I I have not heard that. When we talked to Al Baker about conspiracy theories, I want you to wait until the end to mention that you're a flat earther. (laughs) Don't say it at the beginning. Save it for the last three minutes if you could do that for us. It was really sad. It made me upset and it made me never want to watch it again. And it wasn't just because I got cut. I know it sounds like I'm sour grapes, which I was, but it was more so I got to see a lot of the inner workings of things and it just made me sick how exploitative it was. I think that's a wonderful note to end on after Robin's positivity. So, Robin was awesome. I got to say, like hearing her talk, like it made me feel so good. She's really smart. She's clearly like just baller when it comes to what she does, like artistically, but also like owning her own business. And within five years, like having this empire basically in, in Vegas. I'm so glad you guys got her on here. She was she was really great. Well, it's good. Then Brian and I have this uh, fan ownership because you know we knew her before back to middle school and then both brian and i went to grade school with her but yet we did not go to grade school with each other i'll leave that as a as a puzzle as a really uninteresting puzzle for the listeners to solve but it's true so i guess we'll leave on that note (laughs) so many notes i went picture proof i will provide it i will too first grade photo i have it third grade photo all right so we nobody was in second grade, so she, she could have been off the grid during that time. She was, we could have been off the grid. Right. Who knows? All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thanks, listeners. Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Get bonus content for every episode at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life podcast network, and it's also presented by openculture.com. Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners, 570-726-6200. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners. Also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today, 570-726-6200.